next edition of the Dan Siegel Show, hosted by yours truly, Dan Siegel, ACC content. So, we have completed the first week of March Madness, and remember before, that on this last episode, I was talking about how I thought the ACC might not have teams to talk about after this weekend? Well, the ACC has a pleasantly surprising three teams in the Sweet 16, so I am as happy as ever. I am glad to be recording this episode here on Sunday night as Miami has just pulled off that victory and we are in the winding games of the sweet of the round of 32 headed to the Sweet 16. Today we are going to have two guests as usual. Our first guest will be Brian Marrow from Busting Brackets to just talk about general storylines around the entire country regarding March Madness and this first weekend and and we'll make our Sweet 16 picks. And then we'll have Logan Bolton on, and he's going to talk about just the whole experience of that crazy UNC-Baylor game and talk a little bit about the Marquette game, the upcoming UCLA game, things like that. So we'll get them on in just a bit. But first, let's get into our top five ACC storylines from this first weekend of March Madness, starting with number five. The ACC champs. Go down first. So we'll start on a negative. Virginia Tech, they had a lot of momentum coming into this tournament, but what they went into Texas in a 11 versus uh, 6 matchup, and Texas just completely drained ev- all the energy out of them. Just f- four three pointers for Virginia Tech, not a recipe for Hokie's success. 55 of Texas's 81 points were on finishes at the rim or free throws which just shows that the Hokies weren't up to the task physically. So if you're looking, zooming out in this Virginia Tech program, another disappointing end to their season, the fans did get a ton of joy this year. They won the ACC tournament, and they're just going to be wanting a little bit more, which just brings the excitement to next year because I don't think that program is going anywhere. Moving on to number four. An impressive Notre Dame run comes to a devastating end. They beat Rutgers in the first four through Paul Atkinson, which I did not quite think he would actually have his his way against this Rutgers team, but he had 26 points on 13 of 15 from the field. Then they beat Alabama in the round of 64, basically just by playing Notre Dame basketball. Ball rotation, lights out shooting. Good enough defense. And then they go to Texas Tech, and they elevate their play even more. They didn't allow them to have their way around the rim. Texas Tech is one of the most efficient teams at that dribbled drive to the rim in the entire country. Notre Dame, I thought they would get exploited that way. But no, they did not. However, despite this elevated play, their run came to an end with Blake Wesley trying to Play a little bit of hero ball at the end. I would have preferred them to rely on more experienced guys. Texas Tech, what is key in the tournament? They hit their free throws. And just a devastating end, but a great run for Notre Dame. Great season, especially considering they might. we were considering them not even making the tournament. So, great for them. Let's move on to number three. Duke wins the highly anticipated Coach K versus Izzo matchup. First round, Blue Devils take down Cal State Fullerton, 78-61. to No issues there, 2 over 15. They didn't all, not all the 2s beat the 15s, but Duke 
handled this one fine. Second round, I thought Davidson was going to be more dangerous. I said this on the March Madness preview episode. So I thought they got a little bit lucky playing playing Michigan State instead. But then Michigan State ends up going 11 of 22 from three-point land. That's what I thought Davidson would be more likely to do. Part of it is Michigan State playing out of their minds, shooting above the norm. Part of it is Duke's perimeter defense or lack of perimeter defense. But Duke does pull it out. Nobody on that team was able to guard Paolo. And Duke was heads to the Sweet 16, which is good for them because you'd think that's a normal thing. And it has been throughout the Coach K era. But where were they coming from? Well, last year they didn't even make the tournament. So Duke heads to the Sweet 16. And we're sort of on path for a UNC Duke Final Four. Boy, would that be absolutely crazy. Let's move on to number two. The Canes pull off the improbable. So they come into this tournament as a 10 seed, playing 7 seeded USC. And that was a game they obviously, USC, the Trojans, had much more size. But Miami has been undersized all year. And they won the way they'd usually beat a bigger team. They plugged the gaps, they forced turnovers, they played great and secure offense. But here's the amazing thing. They went into Auburn, or played against Auburn, and did the exact same thing. Auburn was a two-seed, and Auburn is both big and athletic. They not only beat Auburn, they beat Auburn 79-61. to Just amazing stuff from Coach Laranega, who I'll admittedly say I thought the days were past him, but nope. That offense really flustered Auburn. That kind of complete five out with four guards and one big man. Auburn did not know how to handle that. They were able to get Walker Kessler into foul trouble early. And those guys just came in with absolutely no fear, knowing they could ball. Amazing stuff. Canes become team two of three in the ACC to make it to the Sweet 16. Who is team number three? Well, that brings us to storyline number one of the week. The Tar Heels survive and advance. Emphasis on survive. First off, the heels dominate Marquette, which came to my surprise. All facets of the game, UNC wins 95-63. to I picked actually Marquette in this game, but once I saw how UNC came out of the gate in the tournament, I picked them to beat Baylor in the second round. And they did the exact same thing, or at least they were doing the exact same thing. They were up 67-42 to at around the 10-minute mark. That is a 25-point margin. And 45 real minutes later, they find themselves relying on Justin McCoy and company to pull out an overtime win. What happened in between? Well, this is where Logan's going to come on and kind of break down all the emotions and analysis to what the heck happened throughout all this. But... I don't even know where to start. Like it was absolutely absolute chaos, wild stuff, which we will talk about. First though, we're gonna get Brian Mauro on from Busting Brackets, talk about some national storylines and make some sweet 16 picks. So our first guest of the day is Brian Morrow from Busting Brackets. Brian, first off, speaking of busting brackets, how's your doing how's yours doing? Because 
Mine was actually doing pretty well until my runners-up Illinois lost, which I talked about in last episode, how they were right, my runners-up. But how's yours doing? Well, I had Kentucky in the final game, so that didn't really go well. Um, but otherwise, I have three Final Four teams still out there. Auburn I had in the Elite Eight, and they just lost. But otherwise, I'm doing okay. All right, the first a- day was... The first day was not good for me or really anyone, I don't think. But then it was chalk after that, so it's not too bad after that. No, you're you're probably in better shape than most, especially having three out of four in the first after the first weekend. That's not too bad. So, Brian, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that is that is given that Arizona continues to still win. However, yeah, because that's going on right now. We are actually, like I said, we're recording Sunday night. All the ACC games are over, but there's a couple of games that have not finished yet those being Arizona TCU and Texas Purdue both are both of which are pretty tight with plenty of time to go but yeah let's let's right. talk uh general storyline so the first thing i want to talk about was St. Peter's over Kentucky the 15 over 2 and St. Peter's the 15 seed eventually going to the sweet 16 so in our 64 team tournament format there have been in the first 29 years of that there were four 15 over 2 upsets In the last 11 years, there have been six. In the last 30 years, a 15 has – in the first 30 years, I should say, a 15 never made the Sweet 16 until 2013, then 2021, then 2022. So what does this tell you about mid-major basketball and just the general trend of it? Well, so I do a lot of mid-major coverage for busting brackets, and I will tell you – there's a lot of mid-majors out there that a lot of individuals, that a lot of people that watch college basketball don't know about or don't follow. Now, for those of you that don't know, St. Peter's comes out of the MAC. They were a team that made the tournament because it's a, the MAC's always a single bid league, usually, unless Iona has a really good year. They were a single bid league. They won their conference tournament. Iona got beat in their quarters of their conference tournament. So St. Peter's was going to be their only representative. St. Peter's is really interesting, actually, because they have, for the better part of the year, heading into the tournament, they were anemic on offense. Like, they could not score at all. They basically won their games by having one of the most impressive rim protectors in the country in Casey and Defil. He's really undersized, but he is springy, jumps out of a gym, protects the rim, doesn't foul. And they relied on three-point shooting. They have their three guards, which I'm sure you guys have watched if you've seen the tournament. And Doug Eater and their two guard, their point guard, uh, Daryl Banks, and then Marcus Lee, their other guard. Those are the three guys that usually usually shot the ball really well. But again, they just had a really hard time scoring points. They didn't shoot a very high percentage. They would win their games 55-51, 59-54, 60-55, and they were always really clunky, and they liked to muck them up. Now, when they went to the tournament, they came out firing against Kentucky. I was like, oh, well, it's just a 15 seed, you know, with having a lot of momentum. Like, we see 16 seeds do sometimes against the ones. I didn't think that Kentucky would let it happen. I still can't believe that Kentucky did let it happen. Kentucky had the distinct size advantage over St. Peter's with Oscar Shibway and and they just wouldn't give him the ball. They seemed to turn the ball over a lot. The defense that Shaheen Holloway and St. Peter's ran was really confusing to them. And that's a lot of things you're going to get when you run mid-majors. A lot of them are going to be – so it's not like it used to be. 
right, where there used to be a lot of guys that nobody wanted in the D1 level. That's still technically kind of the case. If you're going running it back, okay, so you have John Morant, really under-recruited out of high school, one of the best potentially college players of all time, okay? You have Jason Preston from Ohio last year, another really under-recruited player. He had zero offers coming out of high school, went to Ohio and was all Mac, drafted in the NBA, put up 45 against Illinois last year in Champaign in a non-conference game, okay? And then you have all the kids from St. Peter's. St. Peter's, is, if you don't know, is a really small Jesuit school in Jersey City, New Jersey. The team is filled with kids from New York and New Jersey. They're tough as nails. They play like that, right? And there's a lot of other – I mean, so Gonzaga, we're just going to say, is not a mid-major. Murray State at this point is a mid-major, but not really because they're getting a bunch of good athletes. Loyola Chicago always has great athletes. San Francisco is going to always have good athletes. St. Mary's is a mid-major. They have great athletes. Mid-majors are – there's there's enough talent to go around, right, that you don't need to just fill it with a bunch of top 100 kids like Power Fives try to do. You can fill it with guys that fit your system, that are going to buy in on defense, that are going to buy in on offense. And a lot of the times on deep, a lot of times when you have a mid-major – those are the kids that have a chip on their shoulder because they want to prove to everybody that maybe they should have been recruited by everyone else. So that's been major basketball. But major basketball is also none of them are intimidated. Okay. I mean, if you look at this tournament already, Georgia State played with Gonzaga for about 30 minutes. Then they had gotten some guys in foul trouble and kind of went away from that. UAB played with Houston and Houston Depending on what you think of the American Conference is technically a power school because of budget and everything else, but they're just in a mid-major conference. They won't be next year. They'll be in the Big 12. But UAB, another team, not a lot of people knew about because it's Conference USA Basketball is not on TV a lot, but they had two of the high, like two of the best scores in the tournament in Jelly Walker and Michael Ertle. So that's out there. It, it, Murray State, again, San, San Diego, sorry, South Dakota State as well. Two of the high, like most prolific offenses in the country, South Dakota State led the led the conference or led the country and their conference, but led the country in three point shooting. Finished second overall in scoring behind, or yeah, second overall in scoring. I think behind Gonzaga, because I think Arizona ended up squeaking in third there. So there are mid major basketball is a lot different than it was even five years ago. Now the parity and the gap between power fives and mid majors is shrinking considerably. And a lot of these teams, like, for example, St. Peter's, I would be amazed if Shaheen Holloway was still their coach next year. He's likely going to get the Seton Hall job, as they say, or even the Maryland job, depending upon what happens. So they say. I don't. That's just a rumor going around. They're still obviously playing, so we can't take any jobs right now. But even still, last a couple years ago, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, used to be all those guys were guys that were getting basically a retread, right? Guys that didn't make it in power schools going down a level to see if they could succeed. Now, it's these are the young upstart coaches that are getting their starts and they're building these programs up and they're getting good players to go to their next high major job. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, then they just go back down again. For example, John Gross built up, built up the Ohio Bobcats before he took the Illinois job. And then that never worked out, and then went back down to Akron, and now has Akron as one of the powers in the MAC. So, 
that's just kind of the way things work there with that. But St. Peter's and St. Peter's this year, Oral Roberts last year, and Florida Gulf Coast, I believe, was 2013, I think, yes, were the yes. 315s to make a Sweet 16. And when Florida Gulf Coast did it, it was unprecedented. They, no one could believe it. That was, team was extremely underseated. Oral Roberts last year had the highest score in the country, and Max Abmus also really underseated. But St. Peter's, given their resume, given the teams they played, given the games they lost, given the like they were perfectly seated. It just was a perfect storm for them to beat Kentucky. Kentucky didn't play well on defense at all. They didn't deny anything. They didn't play well on offense. Kentucky looked at the name on the uniform and thought they could go out and win, which is a lot of times what's going to happen when you see a power school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's crazy how much college basketball is changing, and you make a really good pitch there for mid-major basketball and why it should be on TV more, why it should be followed more by people who I don't want to say casual college basketball fans because those are those are the people that are just going to watch the big big regular season games in March Madness but like the mm-hmm. average college non diehard college basketball fan mm-hmm. that watches some games well turn on these mid major games before the tournament maybe you won't be so shocked to see a 15 over a it team. means oh sorry I didn't mean to cut you off. I say I think it just means more at the mid major level right like the, the SEC coaches football. are trying to Coaches are trying to prove something, and the players are trying to prove something, and it's really fun basketball to watch. Let's get to our Sweet 16 picks, just rapid fire. We have okay. we have um, six games that we know will happen, and then obviously two of them are, are TBD. So we'll, we'll just get to the six games that we know will happen, starting with okay. top-seeded Gonzaga with four, against fourth-seeded Arkansas. Okay. I have Gonzaga here. I had Gonzaga going to the Final Four. But just disclaimer, if Gonzaga plays as poorly in the first half as they have in their first two games, they will get beat. Yeah, I have Gonzaga as well. I'm continuing to just trust what I've seen the majority of the season versus just the last few Mm -hmm. games. Maybe the last few games actually woke them up to the fact that they can't sleepwalk their way to the championship again. And that Drew Timmy infamous interview might have indicated that. If you guys haven't watched that, definitely go back and watch that. That was very funny. But, yeah, that's what my take is on that game. Moving on to second-seeded Villanova against 11th-seeded Michigan. That's a tough game because I don't know what Michigan team is going to show up. I, I didn't. There was a lot of things. I'm not a big metrics nerd like some other people are that put Michigan in the tournament, right? But then I realized that Michigan had the, I think, like third or fourth hardest schedule in the country. And Villanova is flat out going to have to make shots in this game and play the defense that they normally play or they're going to lose. But I have Villanova advancing. Yeah, Villanova is March. Jay Wright knows how to win in March. I think similar to how Villanova stopped Ohio State's bigs, they could stop Michigan's bigs or at least slow them down enough to come on top on the scoreboard. So I'll take Villanova. Um, and it's nothing, just Jay Wright doesn't do anything with height. It's all, it's really a weird defense that he does. I and mean, he just kind of like mirrors the big man. And they don't let him catch the ball deep and everything else. It's really actually kind of, they're fun to watch for that reason. We got second-seeded Duke and third-seeded Texas Tech. I have Texas Tech going to the Elite Eight. I can see Duke winning, but the reason I have Texas Tech going to the Elite is strength, simply on the strength of the Big 12. Mm. I got the Blue Devils. I think 
uh, probably my personal ACC bias, but Mark Williams' interior presence is just so great. And if you're forcing them into more of an outside shooting team, they are not so great. Texas Tech, that is. So that's why I'm going to go with right. Duke in a close one. How about Providence? I mean, I, I, I could, that's a 50-50 game for me. That could be completely anybody. So Agreed. How about Providence and Kansas, four against the one? I have Kansas advancing, but Providence has really impressed me because I didn't think they were all that good. I thought they were one of those lucky teams, but they've been really good in this tournament. And Kansas played a really close game against Creighton, backed on the fact that Creighton finally made a bunch of threes, which we knew was going to happen eventually. But I think Kansas is too strong in this. I have them going to the Final Four. Yeah, I'm I'm off the Providence is a fraud train after they smoked Richmond. But Kansas, yeah. Kansas just overwhelms them with pace, forces the Friars to be a little bit one-dimensional on offense. So I'll, go, I'll take Kansas by like five points-ish. How about... UNC-UCLA, eight against the four. Two contrasting styles in this game, right? Like a team that likes to play really fast and up-tempo, shoot a bunch of threes, get it inside to Baycott versus a team who likes to slow it down and play extremely, like, havoc style on defense in UCLA, as all McCronin teams do. This is a really hard game for me to pick. Because if North Carolina plays like they have the first two games, this game won't be close at all. Because UCLA can't score like that at all. So if North Carolina is going to put up 90, which nothing tells me that they won't, then I believe that they can beat UCLA. I didn't have, I had Baylor advancing to the Final Four in this bracket anyway. But because of that, I'm going to take North Carolina over UCLA just because North Carolina is on fire right now, and if they score 90, UCLA can't keep up. Also, UNC might be a little banged up. I don't know what the deal is with the Hawkeyes injury, but they right. they said if he could walk, he will play, right? That's what the right. quote was. So we'll see about that. But either way, they'll be banged up, and after they survive the whole Baylor thing, I'm going heels. I'm not picking against them. Let's, our final game of the night, or of the – Sweet 16, I guess, that we have available to us. 11 Iowa State against 10 Miami. One of them will be going to the Elite Eight. Pretty crazy, huh? Considering the fact that Iowa State, a lot of people didn't think they should get in because they finished, what, like third or fourth to last in the Big 12, I think, or something like that, which speaks to the overall strength of that league. And Miami, again, another team. Miami we got to kind of think who's going to play, what's going to give first. Is Ohio State's lockdown defense going to give first, or is Miami going to be able to get out in transition? Because if Miami can get out in transition, Iowa State's not going to be able to run with them. But if Iowa State plays at their pace, they can beat anybody. So that's why why they've won both their games, because I think the two teams they were matched up against with LSU and Wisconsin both play at a pace that Iowa State likes to play at. Miami doesn't. So in this game, I'm going to take the Hurricanes. Yeah, I'm not probably picking, by four or five. I'm not picking against the Canes either. What this? What can this team do wrong right now? I am not sure because of just the matchups that they've continued to win throughout this tournament. So I was already wrong once. I picked Auburn over Miami earlier today. I do not want to be wrong twice doing the same thing. So I'm picking Miami over Iowa State. All right, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. We'll have you on sometime in the future. 
and enjoy the rest of your tournament. Definitely will, man. Thanks, Dan. Have a wonderful day. So thank you so much to Brian and his mid-major pitch, which was very interesting. And like I said, I cannot... I mean, I, I'm a college basketball diehard, so I follow mid-major basketball, but it's not as much regularly televised, regularly covered as the Power Conference team, and I think it's disproportionately that way compared to the variance in how good the teams are, if you know what I'm saying. So hopefully that, and then hopefully our uh, Sweet 16 picks come into fruition and we get them right. But our next segment is brought to you by the Pipeline Discord Come join our growing community of college football and basketball fans where we talk games, news, recruiting, predictions, and much, much more. And of course, be sure to stop by our betting channel and maybe pick up a hot betting tip. That's the Pipeline Discord. Link is in the description. All right, now it's time to get Logan Bolton on to talk about that whole UNC versus Baylor game. Man, there's a lot to say, so let's get him on. So we are now joined by Logan Bolton, obviously a diehard UNC fan who, I mean, I, I want to get your takes on this UNC-Baylor game because that was absolutely <laughs> wild stuff. But Logan, first off, before we start talking about UNC hoops in this tournament, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Dan. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Like I said, appreciate you coming on. All right, so we'll get, we'll get to Baylor in a sec. Let's start with Marquette. So you guys come out with a 95-63 win and... Obviously, I mean, what are we looking at? Like two months ago, you guys were in a very different spot. Will you make the tournament? We are not sure. And just losing games by 20 points consecutively, things like that. And now all of a sudden you guys are in the Sweet 16 and just beat the defending national champs and the number one, and the number one seed. So what do you could you basically attribute this drastic change in performance from two months ago? Um, to me, it really started after, uh, those consecutive losses to, uh, Wake Forest and Miami, where they lost by like 20 plus to both teams. After that, they just, I think the team grew up a lot and, uh, it really showed in their play. Uh, I think they won something like, uh, 13 of their last 15 after that. And, uh, like I said, I think that, uh, the team just really grew after that and, uh, that was a big stepping stone for them. And uh, especially after they beat Kay in his last home game, I had to bring that up somehow. But uh, I think that's really where it started, um, majorly started at. They've just been completely different since that night, too. Um, going into that Marquette game, I certainly wasn't expecting um, certainly wasn't expecting them to blow, it, uh, blow out Marquette like they did. Um, I figured it'd be a close game, you know. And uh, they pulled it out, though. I mean, they just obliterated them. And uh, then we can get into the Baylor game if you want. Yeah, I just I look at UNC, and they have just varying skill sets. I, I think the team is very well put together. You know, you got your traditional big and Baycott. You got Davis, who could shoot the lights out. You got Love, who could handle the ball. But Leaky Black, he hits key shots, and he plays lockdown defense. Brady Manick, kind of a little bit of everything, right? It, it just... It kind of just all came together, and the team always had the potential in it. And a lot of yeah, for sure, a, a lot of criticism came at at uh, Hubert Davis, but just I think he's really put things together. 
Yeah, I agree. And uh, I mean, I will admit, I was one of those people the first like 10 games of the season. I was like, man, I, I don't know if he's got it. Like, I mean, they looked rough. They barely beat Brown at home. Went down to uh, Charleston and barely beat them. I mean, it looked rough for a minute. And I was like, I, you know, I don't know if Hubert's the guy, but obviously, you know, they gave him the time and he's looking like the guy now. I mean, they, they're, they're really shaping into a great team at the right time. And uh, like you said, they've all got varying skill sets and it's really showing right now in March. And that's when you want it to show, obviously. But uh, yeah, I'm like you, I think, uh, they're a solid team and who knows get the right matchups and uh could be playing for a national title i don't see it happening but you know it could yeah but um i think if there was like one concern for this team for me it was just our lack of depth this season and uh, we never really have established that but uh here in the last few games uh don chris dials and puff johnson and uh even Justin McCoy, I was hard on that guy for a while. I mean, I really didn't think he uh, brought much to the team, honestly. No offense to him, but uh, he's even stepped it up in the last few uh, weeks. So they're definitely a much different team than they were back in November when they almost lost to Brown. <laughs> yeah, and, and that always gets a bailer because you mentioned some of that depth and at some points a lack of depth, but then guys stepping up because it was very necessary that those guys stepped up in the latter minutes of that Baylor game. So you guys were up 25 with 10 minutes left, and then everything just falls apart. Brady Manick gets ejected from the game on a, we'll just call it questionable, flagrant two. Yeah. <laughs> and just eventually you're you're playing – Guys like Justin McCoy and Dontre Styles and guys who don't always see regular minutes and you're you're having them squeak out an overtime victory against the defending national champs when you were just up twenty five and cruising. And just before we get analytical, just take me through the emotions as a diehard fan from you get to that stage, the up twenty five with ten minutes left, all the way through the final buzzer of overtime. So, I mean, when we got up 25, I was like, ah, this is a done deal. You know, Baylor's going to, you know, just throw it in. Good season, good run, whatever. And uh, I was like, heck yeah, you know, we're going to the going to the Sweet 16, just beat the national, or uh, we're going to beat the defending national champs, you know. And then Brady gets ejected. I was like, well, you know, it's fine. It's fine. We're up 25. I don't see us. I, I don't see them coming back from this. And then everything just breaks loose off the rails. <laughs> I mean, it just went crazy after that. And I was like, I was sitting there stunned. I was like, there's no way this is happening. Like we're getting ready to lose this game. And I was like, man, this is, this is terrible. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to recover from this. And, uh, but anyways, like you said, those guys like McCoy and Dontris Styles. They came in, and if it wasn't for Dontre Styles hitting that three, that uh, key three in overtime, I'm not sure that we win it. And uh, for me, I think that's a big moment. And uh, if we do make a very deep run in this tournament, that may be one of those moments you look back on. You're like, hey, if it wasn't for that, we may not be here. And uh, 
so yeah, there were some key guys who stepped up when uh, Caleb Love fouled out there, and then um, uh, Brady Manning getting ejected. So yeah, it, it was a team effort for sure, and a very emotional ride. Let's just talk about the refs for a little bit because fifty-three fouls total in the game over forty-five minutes. That is one foul per forty-eight seconds. That is absolutely insane. So there were some bad calls just over-officiating the game. But even just take the bad calls aside, the fact that the game got so chippy and all these injuries and just complete chaos on the court, that is on-officiating. Like, that just, your job is to keep the game in check and have as little interference as possible while still making sure that the game doesn't turn to chaos. And they did absolutely none of what I just said. That officiating... That officiating crew, I mean, I, I don't know what to say, but I I was just at a lack of words at the time. I'm still at a lack of words. Like, I just, I had not seen anything like that. Oh, me neither. I mean, in the first half, the sad part is, is in the first half, I mean, I was kind of, you know, fine with it. They were letting the guys play, letting them get scrappy, you know, uh, toning it down when they had to. I think there was a couple of technicals in the first half that they called, you know, keep things settled down. And then they came out in the second half, and I don't know if they weren't happy that North Carolina was running away with the game, and they just wanted to uh, close it up. or well, And that's not to say that there wasn't questionable calls on both sides, because there were a few times that they gave UNC a few, uh, a few breaks. But uh, yeah, 56 total fouls, that's, that's not right. I mean, that's just, you're taking over the game to a standard that it shouldn't be. And yeah, it was honestly not even enjoyable to watch those last uh, 25 minutes. If you include the overtime, it just, it wasn't even enjoyable to watch at that point. So yeah, the officials definitely, they definitely uh, took over that game and when they shouldn't have. All right. Final thing. Let's get to the UCLA preview, your sweet 16 matchup, UCLA and UNC, both teams that are very efficient, on both ends of the court, but they contrast in pace. UCLA is the 264th most um, speedy team in the country, fastest tempo. North Carolina is 33rd, so North Carolina plays at a much quicker pace. Now UNC, we look at the very slow-paced teams in the ACC, UVA, Virginia Tech in particular. They swept them in the regular season. Obviously, UCLA, there's a lot more of an element to them than just a slow pace. They're a much better team than both of those. But do you think that's like somewhat indicative of how UNC can kind of control the game themselves if certain circumstances go right? Like I, I just talked to Brian and I had UNC winning this game over UCLA. I'm guessing you have the same, but I just want to hear your your general thoughts on this. Um, so my thoughts are. Um... I'm not sure if they cleared a, a Jaquez to go for UCLA. Um, I haven't seen anything on that. I know um, they said that they were expecting him to, but they weren't 100% certain on that. I think that's going to be a big factor on that because, um, you know, he's one of their bigger providers on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, if he's gone, that leaves it to uh, Tiger and uh, – uh, Juzang, you know, to produce most of their offense. And if Leakey is guarding Juzang, then uh, that's pretty much going to leave Tiger because, like you said earlier, Leakey is a lockdown defender 
whoever he's matched up with, they're just they're not going to have a good night. It is what it is. But um, yeah, as far as the pace goes, I think if UNC can uh, control the play, uh, control the pace and play to their style, that they should be able to edge you uh, UCLA out. But uh, as you saw in that ACC uh, semifinal against Virginia Tech, it's not certain that they can do that. They did do it three times in the regular season, but uh, yeah, that uh, ACC semifinal game, Virginia Tech had their way with them on the defensive side of the ball, and uh, yeah, they just they wouldn't allow North Carolina to play their game, and as you saw, it uh, North Carolina wasn't able to get by them. So uh, I do think UNC will end up winning it and continue riding their hot streak, but UCLA. Uh, watches any tape from that semifinal matchup, you never know. No, Logan, good luck to your heels. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you for your insight, and uh, hope to have you on in the future. This was fun stuff. So thank you to Logan. It was very good to have a UNC fan on because obviously they are very prevalent right now after that national story of the game between them and Baylor. Uh, but that's going to do it for tonight. You have been listening to the Dan Siegel show. Thank you for your continued support for our content here at pipeline. Be sure to follow me at Dan Siegel, ACC content on Twitter and subscribe to our show. Maybe even leave us a five-star review. If you're feeling generous, once again, this is Dan Siegel. Bye.